This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. It's been a big week in hockey. So we got a lot to get into, guys, here in five on three. Chris Hennessy across from me, Mike Messina to my right. I'm Jack Caldwell. How you guys doing? Hey there, Jack. I'm good. Lots, doing, lots to go over. A lot. Doing good, Jack. <laughs> yeah. A lot of breaking news that has been coming out over the last couple days, so I say we get right into it. Well, I think the big thing to start with, this local angle, it's probably the biggest story in hockey right now. It's John Hines gets the axe from the Devils after that 7-1 loss uh, to the Sabres. And I remember watching the end of that game, and I, I actually didn't think Hines was going to get fired after that, but watching that game and saying... That's the game that gets coaches fired. If but I, game, I just thought they were so blindly loyal to Heinz. Right. If that game was in, you know, say January, or I guess we're in December now, so maybe it was in January or February, that's a game where he doesn't make it out of the building as an employee of the Devils. I think it says something that they took the time to go back to New Jersey. They're playing the, they played Vegas last night, and it was before the Vegas game that they fired him that they, they were really considering this, and they, they fired him. I think at the right time, just because this is right around. Now, again, we talked about this with the Leafs. I don't know that this team has the talent that the Blues did, but this is right around the time they fired Mike Yo. It's there's still so much hockey left to be played. It is still December fourth. There's so much. To, there's a lot that's going to be determined between now and the beginning of April, where they're really not out of it. They're they're in the basement of the Eastern Conference. They're in the basement of the league. They're in the basement of the Met. I understand that, but they have the talent. They they don't have the goaltending necessarily, but they have the talent, and with the right coaching, they really could they could piece something together here. And I think that the Devils were like, look, we had a great offseason, and now we stink. Let's try to make something out of this season now. I think, like adding on to that, after signing that extension, did you guys picture him not going to be there this long after signing it. I was Honestly, pretty, I we, was pretty critical of it. We, when they signed, we, we talked about Joe Quinneville yeah, going to yeah, the Devils. So, exactly like that. so we actually were calling for Heinz's head before he signed the extension. Last yeah, year. we were talking about and, them firing him and signing Joel Quinneville last summer. Right. Well, in, no, not even last summer, dude. Last last well, November. Yeah, no, but we were last November talking about him oh, right, them, for this the summer. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, th- there were certainly questions about why he was retained as the coach of the Devils, and then he has a terrible second half of last year. I mean, you just look at his final uh, record on the as the Devils 115 coach. Hundred and fifteen, hundred and fifty nine in four and a half seasons. And then there's forty five overtime losses yep, in there too, right? Is he fifty well. games under five hundred in four awful. years? That's not good, especially for a guy who made the playoffs one year. So you think he was over five hundred one of those years, and the other years he's over fifty games under five hundred? That's another thing. He only one playoff appearance in those four and a half. Yeah, consider this a half year, four and a half years. That's not what the Devils were looking for when they signed this extension with them. No, it's not. And especially, you think about a team who had the biggest offseason in the league, maybe outside of the Rangers. Maybe you could say the Rangers had a bigger offseason, but to get Subban, Hughes, and Gusev, there were still questions on the team, sure, but they were a fringe playoff team coming into the season. And they've been terrible. They have been, we've talked about it over and over again, they've been awful, and who knows what's going to happen now, and Look, Jack Hughes hasn't been good. Now he's sick. Taylor Hall probably going to leave, and he's probably going to get traded. That was announced this week that he's officially being shopped by uh, Ray Shiro and Tom Fitzgerald. But, I mean, the, it's... Well, you really you, only have two months now for Hall because I think that's also part of why they did this now. What if they go on a great run over these next two months and you think maybe right. you can get, buy Hall in? What if he, Shiro, and Hughes play incredibly well over these next two months. Yep. Those are that's how you let Hall buy into this. And 
the trade deadline, it's like February 20th this year. It's a bit yeah, it's earlier. Yeah, it's um, So let's say they have till February 1st until they're going to legitimately shop uh, Taylor Hall. So that's all of December, all of January. That's two months you have to buy Taylor Hall in or decide, okay, we're going to trade him because they're not, they're not going to trade him in December. It, the value won't change exactly. between now and February 20th. And look, they, they are in prime position for a solid rebuild. We talk about their goaltending yeah. being not good. Kenzie Blackwood is still very young, and there's still potential there. You have guys in Jack Hughes and Nico Hishier who are undoubtedly talented. Sure, they haven't been great this year, but if you're going to try to tell me Jack Hughes isn't good at hockey, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. And I think Absolutely. I think so, they made the right call with the. I think we all think they made the right call with Hishier at one. Hishier at one over Nolan yep. Patrick. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but absolutely. Do, do you guys think there's any like say the Devils go on this long winning streak? Not not really like what the Islanders did, but I personally I don't think there's anything they can do that will. Drag Taylor Hall back into the organization. Like, I mean, it's want, possible. I don't. Yeah, I, he, he can make so much money. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Exactly, he's, he's gonna make a ton. He of money. can make a ton of money in a way better, way put together organization. And I think that's. Exactly I mean, think what about the team. Think about the teams Taylor Hall has played for: the pre McDavid Oilers, mm-hmm. now the John Hines Devils, and now he's gonna go pick his own team. So I don't think he's gonna pick a team that's not good. And the yeah, Devils aren't good. He hasn't been a career Devil either. I mean, he's spent so long in Edmonton, and right. that's what I think Devil fans have to remember. He was traded to the Devils, and it's only been two and now two and a half seasons. This is not a career Devil. I mean, it seems like he likes being here, but it's not like he's ever spoken extremely highly of New Jersey or the Devils. This is this is not a team that appears to be all that alluring to him, other than the fact that he's played there the last two and a half years, which is not that long. No, it's not. And there have been comparisons to, I mean, this just happened two years, a year and a half ago with the New York Islanders and John Tavares. And I think the difference is exactly what you just said, Jack. That, Jack, that Tavares Taylor was born and raised an Islander, mm-hmm. and he loved the organization. Exactly. T- Taylor Hall's been here for 10 minutes. Uh, won a heart trophy, no doubt, but he hasn't been here for very long. And I also think the difference is that the Devils seem to want to get something for him. The Devils aren't, as, as an organization, they've already announced, like, look, we're looking to trade this guy. They aren't content with letting him walk for free, which I think is the right move. I think that this team isn't going to go to the playoffs this year. They aren't, haven't been good. And look, maybe they'll prove us wrong in the next, as you said, Jack, next six to eight weeks is really the time they have to prove it. Maybe they'll prove us wrong. Maybe they'll go on a run and, and, and sneak into the playoffs, but... It's not looking good, and I think that you have to get something for a guy who's going to be a hot commodity. And I say this all the time, and it sounds like puck talk and and dumb hockey player lingo, but it's true. Taylor Hall could put the puck in the back of the net, and every single team in the NHL can use a guy like Taylor Hall to put the puck in the back of the net. There is not a single team. maybe He fits in on every single team. Maybe Tampa Tampa. and Toronto. Maybe Tampa and Toronto are the only two teams that could – realistically pass up on him. Every single other team in the NHL should – Taylor Hall makes them better. Every well, single one. I'm look. I'm looking at it right now. Taylor Hall has leads the team with 22 points, but he only has four goals. Do you think that is from not being put on the right line with those right players, or he there's no chemistry? I think there's the just no team? chemistry, man. I mean, you look at a team who got put together in five minutes mm-hmm. in June. Now, where, with bad coaching, so I think there's just so la- such a lack of chemistry. And yeah, besides Hughes and Heesher, I mean, even Gusev mm-hmm. has not been great. He's been great. No. So. I mean, I talk, I get what Devils fans can see in Shiro based on his past. I don't think he's done a very good job well, with yeah, this team. I, and I, I, yeah. I understand that. But you but spent f- he spent four years rebuilding this team before 
last uh, two years ago with Hall and the playoffs was supposed to be the start, mm-hmm. this first generation of what they spent four seasons of being terrible and bottoming out to build towards, and they don't really have anything to show for it. Well, I, well that's you're a- right, you're right, and I think here, here's what it is. You traded for a guy who went and won the MVP. You got two number one overall picks, mainly by the luck of the lottery, but you're also really bad for a couple of years, and... You pick the undoubted right guy. Maybe you're down in Kako over Hughes, but like, come on, they're both so fantastic. It doesn't really matter that much. I'm taking Kako. You pick the the undoubted right guy, and then you go out and get a veteran presence like PK Subban. Really, for Ray Shiro, he's done a lot. He's put a lot of good pieces well, was, together. Was Subban but, the right guy though? I don't know. I, fine, fine. Have the bad. question. Have questions about Subban. The contract is bad. Fine, but to me, it's just the coaching wasn't right. The coaching wasn't good. And the chemistry. Well, Hines is, was his guy, right? Hines, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think so. So that's where, you know, this next coaching spot, the Devils are a very stable organization. It's probably mm-hmm. Shiro's last coach. Yeah, unless everything goes right, and then he's here for twenty years. But worst case scenario, I think this is Shiro's last coach. I, I think I that's exactly. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, th- I don't think Taylor Hall's a devil on March 1st. I don't think No, I don't think anyone thinks that unless they go on an improbable run, just like the Islanders just went on, so why don't it's we true. move on to them? Although it did come to an end, thankfully for me, but <laughs> you were pretty upset. But Yeah, I mean, look. The they, West, they came back down to earth. They did. The, the West Coast swing is always going to be hard. Um, they played, look, three not very good teams, but they didn't play well against them. Uh, the Sharks game wasn't bad, but the Ducks game and Kings game were really bad. And they deserve to lose. I mean, Barry Trotz got up there after the games and said, we deserve to lose this game. And he said it last night when they played terribly against Montreal. He said, the New York Islanders deserve to lose this game. And it was it was Todd almost going into the second period. Thirty like What was it, like 30 seconds remaining? They scored a goal or something like oh, that? Oh, the Canadiens. Yeah. So yeah. they uh, it's the end of the first period, and it's 0-0, and looks like the clock's going to run mm-hmm. out. And then I can't remember who it was Switch now. Switch the channel and turn it back on? No, no, no I, I was still watching it. And... Uh, <laughs> They scored. They put one past Grice with .1 seconds left, which I tweeted that the Jack, the Barry Trotz Islanders very rarely remind you of the Jack Capuano Islanders, but that is a big-time Jack Capuano Islanders move to give up a goal with less than 10 seconds left in a period. But, uh, yeah, last night was not good. But, look, think of it this way. The streak ends. They come back. They beat a Columbus team that they should beat. They beat a Detroit team they should beat. And they oh, lose gosh. To Mont- mm-hmm. The Red Wings are so bad. The Red Wings are so bad. And they lose to Montreal. If you win two of three games for the rest of the season, you're going to make the playoffs. So, like, I'm not concerned about it. They weren't going to go. They weren't going to have 78 wins at the end of the season, like, if they had won every game for the rest of the year. But, oh, well. Um, I'm not too concerned. I think Thursday is a big game out there playing at home against Vegas. You'll be there, right, Jack? Yep. Um, big game home against Vegas. Vegas is a good team. They've done well over this New York stretch, as we just talked about. Beat the Rangers and the Devils. So the Islanders really haven't played much at the Coliseum. Either well, they recently. played. Yeah, they, they played really so much. They played I mean, so much. Those the first beginning. three, four weeks, I felt that was like that. I felt that was there every day. Yeah, <laughs> well, they I had a lot was of home games. There. They had a lot of home games. There was a week I was there at the Coliseum. Days. Yeah, they. I mean, you have that. We've been talking about this. That's got to screw with your rhythm a little bit. Switching home ices like yeah. that. Yeah. I Especially guess so. Apparently, the players hate Barclays. Well, just as much as the fans, they haven't. Got it. That's they got to screw you up a little bit. They've only lost one game in regulation at home all season. It was at the Coliseum, so I'm not going to really blame Barclays yet. But no, you're right. I don't like Barclays either. No, you know I don't. <laughs> no one does. You, you know I don't like Barclays. I hate Barclays. Yep. So it's yeah, it stinks. But that's it. I've just come to accept it at this point that they're going to switch home arenas on an every other night basis and whatever. But. Yeah, they haven't played at the Coliseum in a while, and it'll be interesting to see how they get back there. And 
Uh, it'll be the first game back at the Coliseum since the end of the streak, so we'll see. But I think that the Blue Jackets game was really uh, a really good bounce back because you come back, you have the Thanksgiving holiday, and you lost two tough games. You lost two bad games to Anaheim and L.A., but they come out, they show some things against Columbus. They get a goal from Anders Lee, who felt like he hadn't scored in a year. And uh, Bar- Barzal had a good goal, and then in Detroit, Eberle scores two goals. They finally get on the score sheet. So the top six seems to be coming back into focus a little bit here, but um, those those games in the West Coast better stay out in the West Coast, I guess is my point. Well, Chris, that's now that Eberle's gone for it, was 10 games, right? Yes, a little bit less than that, something like that, yeah. So he, he was gone that long. That's when I, that's when the Islanders were on their yep. point streak. Yep. Now that it's over and he's officially back with those two goals against Detroit, what do you – like? What do you think is going to be coming out of him? Is he going to? I mean, it's got to be some goals, goals, man. It's got to be some goals, man. I mean, this is a team who we've talked about it. I mean, I look. I've thought this. This has been a problem since John Tavares walked into the Nassau Coliseum that they need a top six goal scorer, and they don't have it. And they thought Jordan Eberle was the guy. And look, he scored a lot of goals. But are he's you saying not, that like that? That's what you think he's going to be a top six? Goal he, scorer? That's what he's yeah. got to be. I mean, that's that's what he that's what he was brought here to be. That's why they traded Ryan Strom. They they decided you know Ryan Strom isn't filling that role. We need a guy who we know can, and they brought Jordan Eberle in, and then he gets hurt, and he wasn't great in the middle of last year, and now he stinks at the beginning of this year. So uh, it's going to be a thing where are they going to go out and get a guy like Taylor Hall or J.G. Paggio from Ottawa? It's very possible, but Jordan Eberle has to be that catalyst on the offense where when Barzal feeds him, he knows that Eberle's going to put the puck in the net, which is what happened and why they beat Pittsburgh four games in a row. Is Eberle scores in all those games, and Barzal has this keen th- thought of like, look, if I get if I put the puck on Jordan Everly's stick, it's going in the back of the net, and that's a guy that the Islanders need. Are the Rangers having an Artemi Panarin? You know, and the great teams out there have it. You know, Kucherov is like that, and Crosby is like that. And those are the great players in the league. I'm not saying they need, you know, I'm not saying they need Connor McDavid. They need a guy who can just put it in the net. And t- I think Taylor Hall would be a great fit, but uh, the Devils aren't probably just, aren't going to trade, trade him. him. But they could in division, in but they the could they could. It's probably not going to happen, but. That's that's the guy they need, and if Jordan Eberle could be that guy, which he showed for four games in the playoffs last year, and even towards the end of the regular season, that he could be, that would be a huge asset. The the Islanders' goaltender has been fantastic up until this far. Do you think that it's gonna keep going? Like t- Thomas Grice, Look, no, I, starts ten and three. Varlamov, yeah, Grice has been fantastic. Three. Varlamov had bad games. Varlamov it had some Varlamov games. I think it was four yeah. games in a row where yeah. he gave up at least four goals. But then he comes out. So listen to this. So they play Columbus, right? They play Columbus at Barclays on. Saturday night? Saturday night. And Grice starts the game, and he saves the first nine shots. And during the TV timeout, he goes to the bench and says, I can't play anymore, I'm sick. So Trotz goes, okay. So he reaches on the bench, puts Varley in the net, 30 shots, 30 saves, shut out. So, I mean, that was... To Honestly, when that happened, I wasn't really feeling so hot because Varlamov has come off a couple of duds out west, and even at the end of the streak back east, he he had some bad games. And one of the Pittsburgh games, he was not good at all. And he goes out there and completely blanks. Now, look, Columbus isn't good, but still, it, it's impressive to come off the bench like that. Yeah, you can see what they're putting together. Um, I guess that I guess from there, we'll move on over to Broadway. Talk about the Rangers a little bit. Um, it's the definition of Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> it's almost a little bit like the Jets, how I feel like the Jets could have beaten most teams but also can lose to anyone like how they've lost to winless teams yep the rangers i i have this feeling where i feel like the rangers can beat anyone i well, mean they, they have they, the beat, they can. they've it's... beaten washington they've beaten tampa bay they went to overtime with boston 
Those are the three best teams and in then, the league. And then you and then come they, home on Monday and you give up mm-hmm. two goals to the same guy in the first like three minutes of the game. He almost so, had a hat trick in the first period too. Yeah. So, look, Jack and I, we had this conversation the other day. I ran through a schedule and I said, look, they could win or lose that game and I wouldn't be surprised. And went for two weeks and it was every single game besides the Boston game. And that happened. And they almost beat Boston. And they, so. and they, and they almost beat Boston. <laughs> that but was the one game we were like, oh, they're losing. They were losing that game won. and they almost mm-hmm. won. And this is a team who clearly has the ability and the offensive firepower to beat anybody. They're down 4 nothing at the end of the, in the middle of the second period. They come back and beat Montreal. They have these great games, and then they go out and they stink. There are so many games where they're so bad. Yeah. well, And hard to watch. Honestly, I didn't think that they played so well in the Minnesota game either. And I know they went to – they won that game. Oh, no, they, yeah, they won that game in overtime. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think they played that great in that game either. And, look, their offense it has the talent, there's no doubt. But it's putting it together and having the defense just hold, them off, hold the other team off for long enough where I don't think they could put it together enough times to really to really make a run here. But they're going to be an exciting team. They're going to win some games, and they'll be in the middle of the draft. Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought coming into the season, and that's, I think, all Ranger fans can ask for. It's really the individual progression. Um, I think Lindgren's looked great. Fox has been fantastic. I mean, he's throwing his name into the Calder ring now. Mm-hmm. Foxes um, are the best player on this team besides Artem Panarin right now. Yeah. I don't Fox, think there's any question. Even Brady Shea over the last three weeks has made some major strides towards rookie Brady Shea, which I really, really like to see. D'Angelo has really come into his own. Even even Lemieux, he brings so much intensity. Lemieux is on the, ice, is really, on the bench. Play, players love him. What I, mean, I love about he him is he playing has with like a skill. black eye and a broken yeah. nose. He, and he, a, he fights like once a game. His helmet he was gets on into backwards. fights. He's so tough, but he's good. I mean, he's, he's not a like good an player. old like no, he's, he's, he's a great. He's got a great shot. He's a good player. Heedle has been great. I mean. The individual progression has been really strong. Leas Anderson, as of now, looks like the one dud that they messed up. And Kako has not been good since he's come back from the flu. Um, but I think he'll put it together because he did put it together right before he got the flu. Um, the two really interesting things, I'm looking at this team right now, and I'll mention them both and then we can talk about them. First of all, Ryan Strom. What are you doing with him? Because he's going to be a free agent and you look at his chemistry with Panarin. Panarin saying he loves him. They want to keep them together. Strom's been really good, but how much of it is fake and how much of it is him playing with Panarin? Number two, Georgiev is five games away in his career from where he can't go on waivers and be sent down anymore. And obviously, five games, once he that eligibility gets taken away, if the Rangers try to send him down, another team's going to claim him. So could we see Igor Shesterkin or some of the tr- trade talks around Georgiev grow in these next five games. All right, I'll take the second one first. Georgiev will be a New York Ranger until at least the end of this season. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think he's ever playing a game in Hartford again. And I don't think they're going to trade him in the middle of the season. But he, I do think he will be gone after I, this season. I absolutely yeah, think that at absolutely. the end of this season, there will be a heavy trade market yep. for Alex Gorgiev, and that there's a very good chance that Gorton and Davidson deal him. I think that is totally possible. However, he will be on this team at least, at least until draft night. Yep. And maybe longer than that. I just think they need to, as long as they're making it clear with Chesterkin, uh, I wouldn't have cared before the Kravtsov thing happened. I don't know much about Chesterkin's personality, but you know, if the Rangers sit him down and say, look, just play play your tail off this season in Hartford, and we promise you'll come up because we're trading Georgiev. Right. As long as it's not a case where he starts to get disgruntled because he really should not be in the AHL right now based on the numbers he's putting up. Yeah. He does not belong there. The only reason he's there is because Georgiev's been phenomenal in the NHL. And look, they can also, 
that's the thing is is a rental go- well Gorgiev's not a free agent so I guess he wouldn't be a rental but is a is a second goalie a hot commodity on the trade market? I don't really know what that is. He's a starter though on most teams, I think. Right, it's, but it's no like team he... no team is going to go trade for a starting goalie at the trade deadline. That's my point. Yeah, well, it was so the... that's why his value, and that's almost why the Rangers have themselves in a pinch. Right. It was like Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot was so good as the Rangers backup goalie, left New York, and then it kind of went downhill from there. No? Well, we don't know what it's going to be like when he leaves, yeah. but. But. Also, Cam Talbot single handedly put the almost single handedly put the Rangers in the first place that mm-hmm. year that he played at the end of the year. He was fantastic. When Lundqvist got Rangers, hurt. So. Um, as Shesterkin goes, I mean, look, he's an he's an AHL player. I don't know that he's going to come out and demand a trade anytime in the next season. I mean, you got to you got to understand. You got to look above you and say, look, those two guys are really good. If I keep playing, that's going to be me. I, I think that's the mentality you have to have. One there. season is not that long. As long one as season is not that long. I think he's the only guy in Hartford who can legitimately say that though. Like the forwards and the defensemen, like Kraftsoff, as you said, I get it. Like, look, the team is terrible, but like the two goalies have been so good that there's no way that you could possibly put him in there. I think I don't think you're going to be able to trade Gorgiev at the deadline, even if they wanted to. You're not going to get that much. Yeah. But you're not going to get as much as you want. And the only team, the only teams that are going to go get him are teams who need a second goalie. I think Arizona would be a good option for that. I think maybe uh, Edmonton's been pretty good with their goalies, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Maybe Calgary's a team like that if they go in and and uh, and need a goalie and Cam Talbot's not working out for them and David Riddick's not working out for them. There are teams that you could put it in, sure, but they're not going to pay a high premium for them. So you have to wait till the end of the season and, and give them to a team who has who doesn't have a goalie or whose goalie situation is terrible right now to to really get the value that you want. And I don't think the Rangers in the middle of the rebuild should sell low. So that's why I think he's going to be on the team till December, till till at least June. As for Ryan Strom, that's it's tough. I mean, he's still young and I think that he could still be part of this rebuild. I really do. I, I think it just depends upon the money for me. Yeah, the money, but like I'm a big Ryan Strom guy. I love him. Are you paying him four mil a year? Four mil a year, absolutely. He's that's been not, a, yeah. That's that's nothing. But he, he's been he's been playing as well as any second center you could have ever asked for on this yeah, team right now. Right now, I, I I think that they will keep him. They will pay him, and but I think they they'll keep him with Artemi Panarin. But I think they should switch Kako and Buchnevich like back and forth to see what works better on each line. You know what I mean? Yeah, so Ka- yeah, Switch, I'm, so it would be it would be Kako's the future. Zabanajad and Kako is the future on the top yeah, line. So the top line would be Kreider, Zabanajad, and um, Capo Kako. Capo Kako. Yeah, so that that's what I'm. I hope the Rangers start moving towards that. I know they tried it out a couple games. Yeah, I like Kreider on the top line yes. and Panarin on the second line. Well, what about Kreider? I mean, we we talk about Ryan Strom getting yeah, resigned. Yeah, Kreider's yeah. the bigger question for me. I think you'd be able to get Ryan Strom at a discount because he was so bad for Kreider's, so many years. Kreider's going to be asking for a lot. Of and things. finally, he's good now. Chris Kreider has been good for his entire. Chris Kreider has literally been good since the day he left Boston College and stepped on the ice in the playoffs for the Rangers. So, I think he's going to get paid a lot of money and is very well going to leave this team. Yeah, I think he's going to be the guy to go. So, I for me, I think that your priority should be re-signing Chris Kreider over re-signing Ryan Strom. I really do. I think that Ryan Strom is replaceable with the guys you have in Hartford, and Chris Kreider isn't. And you, I mean, Jack, you wanted Chris Kreider to be the captain of this team when McDonough left. Yeah, well, the I way did, he yeah. the way all, he I played last so year, I was all in, and then it was classic Kreider in that last mm-hmm. six weeks where he disappeared, and that's what Chris Kreider's never going to be who we saw through March last year or in early March, and that was he played extremely well, but I think ultimately he's going to be the guy who vanishes for sometimes long periods of time, and I am just I I don't think I'm 
he hasn't come over the hump. I thought last year he did, had come over the hump, and he proved me wrong at the end of the last season, at the so far in this season, where he's just he's inconsistent, and I'm not ready to give that guy seven and a half million a year, like people are saying you could get. So you you, you want Strom over Kreider in the offseason? Well, you can get Strom for, for like four and a half mil for three years, which is what's like something like that that's being thrown around versus like a, a seven year seven and a half million. I would do that. Yeah, I think. I, to me, Kreider is going to get a lot of money, and it's going to be about whether the Rangers want to allocate that kind of money to an aging forward. And does he want to stay rebuild. with the team? Well, I think he wants to stay with the team. Which is so there. could he, could he almost take a discount? The Rangers are going to have to have him take a discount. Yeah, yeah. They, they, and that's Do not take it. I don't know. But that's not the middle of a rebuild type situation. There. That's going to be a hard one for the organization and fans to overcome, though. Cry, everyone loves Kreider. I, I think I if they don't trade him, like Kreider, if so. they don't trade him, they're going to want to. Re- they're going to resign him. You like think so? I think, I think they're probably going to talk to him before they trade yeah, him. Yeah, probably. Well, d- definitely talk to him before they trade him. Because yeah. I think that the Rangers are going to want him back at at some capacity, but at some at some dollar amount, it's not worth it. If he's traded, do you think it's going to be at the deadline? Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. Well, I think that's a good place to move on to our last topic, which might be the heaviest, but we've gone on a lot about the locals. But uh, everything with Bill Peters and Mike Babcock. We'll start with Peters. Start with Peters. I mean, this is a guy who was most likely, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that, there were going to be rumors circling soon about his job security simply because of performance issues. Yeah. Calgary's been terrible this year. They have not played up to their abilities. They were first in the Pacific Division, first in the entire Western Conference last year. They get practically swept out of the playoffs. So there are going to be questions about his job security anyways. And then this comment from Akeem Alou comes out where he says, that Bill Peters hurled racial epithets at him when he played for the Roxford Ice Hogs, and that's the end of Bill Peters. And we're probably realistically probably never going to see him again behind an NHL bench, unless all of this falls apart, which is uh, seems unlikely right now. Well, then everything uh, tied in with Ron Francis in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Well, that that he, when he was in Carolina, punching and kicking players on the bench is where mm-hmm. that comes into picture. As right. Well. So th- right. So and th- so it was reported to Ron Francis and. Ron Francis said he then told ownership and basically put it in their hands. And ownership is saying, "No, he never told us. He covered it up." So that that, that it's a it's the definition of he said she said. If right. Ron Francis said, you know, as a GM, I this is over my pay grade. I'm just supposed to hand this to ownership. And if ownership is saying, "Well, he never told us," and granted, ownership is Peter Carmanos, who's not part of the Hurricanes anymore. We right. sold them two three years ago. So that's where you know. It's iffy. It's, it's not a good iffy. look for Francis, mm-hmm. especially as a guy who's building a new team now in Seattle. Right. It's not a good look for anybody involving Carolina at all, and obviously Bill Peters. And it he the Calgary did the right thing. I you can't you can't fault Calgary at all. And the re, the reactions were completely appropriate. That Bill Peters was indefinitely suspended as soon as it as soon as he stepped off the bench in Pittsburgh, which is when <laughs> it was announced in the middle of that game. He was indefinitely suspended and then fired, and now there's gonna, now there's a lot of questions and players are coming out in droves talking about different coaches and we're going to talk about Mike Babcock in a second in the abusive treatment of players and look it's obviously not the look that you want for hockey but it's Bill Peters will never get a job again because of this and rightfully so. I'm just so confused on how it has taken this long. For all this That's another thing too. To I mean, this guy, out. this guy gets an NHL job with how, this how on the back burner. Now, uh, yeah, that's that's another thing, man. I mean, look, it's obviously a lot to come out and say this, and props to Akeem Alou for finally saying it. But 
This guy got an NA- two NHL jobs in between now and then. That's crazy to me. Well, the the Akeem Alou was a decade ago, it said, right? Yeah, he was in the AHL at the time. And, and again, like prop, props to Akeem Alou for coming out and saying it and being completely upfront and talking to the NHL about it. He was in Toronto uh, yesterday or two days ago, and uh, Gary Bettman talked about – or was he in New York maybe? And Gary Bettman talked about uh, their meeting with him and, and, and good on him for, for coming to the league with it. But to, for this guy to get two NHL jobs, and, and you can't fault Carolina or Calgary because they didn't know about it, but it seems see, – rubs me the wrong way, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, it shouldn't have taken this long. I think part of it's just a cultural thing too. Yeah, for so many reasons. Uh, we don't. We don't need to get into yeah. the the cultural spec- spectrum of the United States and things that are going on. But uh, I I do think just modern culture has played a big part of for it sure. too. People for sure. feeling feeling more comfortable with coming forward this stuff with this stuff, which is a good thing. But uh, the Babcock stuff. It's wild, is, man. So you have Chris Chelios on the Spit and Chicklets podcast coming forward and calling basically Mike Babcock a horrific guy and an abuser. And he he went he said a lot of stuff. The thing that strikes me the most about this was when I heard someone said Mike Babcock was an abuser. I didn't hear it was Chris Chelios at first. I was like, oh, it's a load of garbage. Right. When you hear it's Chris Chelios, who's like— the, He's probably the greatest mm-hmm. American hockey player of all time. Don't, top don't, five. Don't, yeah, top five. Top five. Maybe yeah. Brian Leach. But you, well, Trelios played longer. Leach had a better peak. But that's another uh, discussion. But I think Trelios is the definition of a warrior. Absolutely. Old school, uh-huh. tough. He's the longest tenured player in NHL history. Longer than Gordie Howe? Because Gordie Howe spent so much time in the WHA okay, in the okay, 70s. Okay. Sure. So in terms of years played, Chelios has more in the NHL than anyone. And he played for Mike Keenan. I mean, like the toughest hockey coach ever. He played for Scotty Bowman, who's one of the toughest guys ever. And yet to say Mike Babcock is the worst of them all. And one of the big things that he pointed to is that he felt like Keenan and Bowman were actually like actually good guys who were just really, really tough mm-hmm. and mean and evil, but they did it to be better and that off well, the ice they could be good guys. This is now the second podcast in a row I've referenced Miracle, but it's like Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks was when he at Minnesota, yeah, he was he was a tough guy and you saw it in the movie and who knows how actually accurate that was. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. But he cared about the players. And I think that's what Chelios was getting at was that other the other coaches that you mentioned there, Jack, cared about the players who they were coaching. Yep. And it seems and Chelios isn't the only one. Johan Franzen, who was Chelios's teammate, and they won a Stanley Cup together in Detroit, uh, said that Babcock's one of the worst people he's ever met in his entire life. Well, the biggest thing that struck me that I told you off the air before was the fact that they said that he was terrible to like staff, like janitors at Joe Louis That's Arena wild. and I mean, like anybody, Zamboni anybody riders. He passed through in the arena was a bad person. According that to Mike everyone. Like, Everyone in the organization and at the arena was like afraid of him, that he was a bad guy. But when the cameras knew on, he knew how to play a good cop. And that's what really bothered the players was that like at least Mike Keenan wasn't shy about the fact that he could be a jerk. But like the fact that Babcock was beloved by people, including me, for being this ultimate hockey coach. But yet he was actually a really bad guy. And uh, another really important thing I think to touch on is the fact that then that made Lidstrom, Zetterberg, and Datsuk step up in that locker room, which to me makes it makes you reevaluate uh, Babcock's time with Detroit, which has been thought of as a legendary run. 
But if you're telling me that the players despised Babcock in, in a really bad way, I mean, there's good ways to not like your coach. Sometimes it can motivate teams like with the Miracle on Ice. Right. But if he was really breaking up that locker room and it was Lidstrom, Dotsuk, and Zetterberg, uh, I mean, almost like babysitting the team and having to be secondary coaches, you're talking about three of the best players of this millennium and the best leaders of this millennium. Like, that that, that takes a lot away from Babcock. And maybe there should... Let me rephrase that. that. This didn't stop in Detroit. That That's my point. The, the Toronto's the first plenty thing, talented, and the, that's why maybe some of his coaching did not and translate. The, and the first thing that came out of all of this, before any Chelios or Franzen or anything like that, was the Mitch Marner story. Uh, that's, and that's, I'm, uh, that's psychopathic. This like, is, this ex- is lit, quite literally psychotic. I'm going to read directly from CBC. A report from the Toronto Sun on Monday revealed Babcock brought a rookie into his office during the 2016-2017 season. It was confirmed to be Stop Marner there. afterwards. Confirmed to be Marner afterwards. But a rookie. Mitch Barner in 2017 was like 19 years mm-hmm. old. I'm currently 19 years old. Now you're this just is a yes did. man at that point. Here we go. Asked him to list the players on the team from hardest working to least hardest working. Now, apparently, Nazem Kadri was on the bottom of that list, and that rubbed him the wrong way. So you can ask them to do that. It's not the best move ever. But, okay, if it stays between the two of you, then you it's never mentioned you again. Can't you can't to go to the other teammates mm-hmm. and said, you know what the 19-year-old thinks of you? He don't like you very much. He don't think you work hard. And Yeah, he, he shared the list with everyone on the And you team. know who went into Mike Babcock's office and told him, and called it right to his face was Matt Martin. Big, tough guy Matt Martin stood up for the 19-year-old rookie. And, look, that's a little bit of Islander fan in me because I love Matt Martin, but and I have for a very long time. Even when he was on the Maple Leafs, I liked Matt Martin. That, that to me, that shows that Mike Babcock doesn't know how to work a room. And more than the Franz and stuff, more than the Chelio stuff, that, that to me, going to the players and saying that the 19-year-old rookie doesn't think you work hard, that, to me, shows he has no idea how to work a locker. I don't even think that should be a conversation from a veteran to a head coach. No, and bring that absolutely. Into like, that can ne- like, no matter how many years you've been in the league, how old you are, that should not be a topic of discussion. Absolutely. Just the, the fact the that it's a 19-year-old adds another level to it. Especially like doing it behind all the other players' backs and then coming out, like that can't be happening. Right. I, I think that the 19-year-old adds another level to it, though. Mm-hmm. I-, I think that... Yeah, that's definitely abusive because you're talking about a guy who has to say yes to anything. Pretty much. I mean, Marner yeah. was a high draft pick. He was pegged to be a, a star, and he is really, really good at hockey. Um, pegged to be a star since the day he got to Toronto. And to me, that's not how you treat a guy who – or that's not how you treat anybody, to be perfectly honest with you. But that, that to me, shows that Mike Babcock has no idea to work a room. And Bill Peters and Mike Babcock will most I'll, – I'll, I'll just say it. Bill Peters and Mike Babcock will never get jobs in the AHL again for very different reasons. Bill Peters because of what he said, obviously, and what he did. But Mike Babcock, because it now has come out, and again, why did it take so long? We're not really sure. But my, it's now come out that Mike Babcock has no idea how to treat a human being like a human being. That is just plain and simple like that. Aside aside from the all, whole abusive part of Mike Babcock, he just does, does things out of spite. He healthy scratch Madonna, the game the game f- that will be his 1500 career NHL so game. So at 1499, yeah, so he made him a healthy scratch. Scratch Jason Spezza for the Maple Leafs. Uh, when it was a home opening, home home opener against the Senators, and then tried to scratch Chelios at the uh, outdoor game in Wrigley because Chicago he's from there. Boy. Yep, ended up playing the first shift and didn't play the rest of the game. That's crazy, man. Just out of spite. That's crazy. 
So yeah, that's just we had a conversation a complex, last right? last two weeks ago, Jack. We said, well, I wonder where Mike Babcock's going to end up. Oh, we'll have to see who gets fired. Well, he's not going to end he's up. He's going anywhere. nowhere. He's going nowhere. He is. He'll be watching the games on his couch. Most likely. Well, he's getting paid. Oh, he's he, getting paid a lot of money. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. He has plenty of money. That's not this the issue. This makes Ken Holland look really bad too, because Ken Holland, who's the players, came to him to complain. How about Kyle Dubas? Uh, that's true too, but do we know if the players were complaining to him? That's the difference. The How player- about it got all the way around the locker room? Mm-hmm. Kyle Dubas never heard. Or uh, is that is that Lou at that point? That might even be that Lou. was Lamarillo. Yeah. So how about it gets all the way around the locker room and Lamarillo never hears about it? Well, Ken Holland's thing was if you have a problem with it, come up and yeah, request a trade. Holland knew we'll this was you. going on, and he said, "I'm just going to trade you. If yeah. That's your problem." So that's he supported, to me that's the most concerning thing. Yeah, he supported blind faith in yeah. every way possible in this entire situation. Yeah, blind blind disgusting. faith like that. That's not that that's not what you mm-hmm. want. And I also think that that it's not a good look for Lamarillo either because if it runs around your locker room like crazy How you and you look keep... at look you get a veteran guy like Matt Martin walking in defending a 19 year old to your coach and you either have no idea or you don't say anything about it. That doesn't seem right to me. And how about Brendan Shanahan? Or was he at that with them at that point? He was with them with Mike Babcock at least. Yeah. So how about Brandon Shanahan? There's a lot of people who are now in question because they enabled Mike Babcock to do this. Are they going to be able to get young guys to want to come play for them after this whole situation? Like, uh, no, I, I think that it's over. Well, now he's, he's gone. gone. Yeah. I think that, I think I that know, Sheldon they- Keefe has had, even in just two weeks now, has had such rave reviews from every player in that locker room. I mean, there's video of after the, the his first game against the Coyotes, Tavares giving him the game puck and the, the, crowd, the locker room goes wild. Mm-hmm. So clearly they all love him. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily going to be an issue, although it's an interesting point. I think that everybody who was an issue with that is now gone, in it being one person, Mike Babcock. It's it's a changing of the guard in hockey, but even when you talk about these tough old-school coaches who would do these crazy manipulative things, like it does, a lot of it, do, it doesn't compare because when you have Chris Chelios, who played for mostly old-school, really tough, manipulative coaches, right. for him to call Babcock an abuser and say he's head and toes above... Everyone else, Mike Keenan, who basically got blackballed from the league because he was so tough, yet to say Babcock was so much worse. Right. That that's crazy to me. It's it's wild. I mean, talk about being completely blindsided by a story, man. That Mitch Marner thing came out of left field. I was not expecting that. Yeah, once that came out, then I mean, the, yeah, that that was the first domino to fall, and and the Bill Peters thing came out completely out of left field too, and that it's. I was not expect, especially from Mike Babcock. I was not expecting uh, stories like this to be. Yeah. Well, again, that's why the players were bothered because he knew he knew how to look like a good cop. He knew how mm-hmm. to turn it on when the cameras were on, but he wasn't, and that's what that's why we're all blindsided. Yeah, definitely. And that was part of the problem, but I think that's a good place to wrap it up right here for this edition of Five on Three with Chris Hennessy, Mike Messina. I'm Jack Caldwell. See you guys next week.